Well, and as your, your pastor mentioned, I'm from a little bit of an unusual family. When they were little, we were blessed with a three-year-old girl, then a one-year-old girl, then we had twins, four kids, ages three and under. Now, how many think that house was hopping for a while, all right? And, and, and they're older now. And, and, and how many here as parents, have you ever been tempted to murder your own kid? Have you ever had that? Temptation, roll your way. Twins are about five, and, and Danielle, the little girl twin, she's in the backseat of the vehicle, and she makes this big, bold declaration. She's like, I've only got one mommy, but I've got two daddies. And for a moment, this troubled everyone, trying to figure out what the little girl was talking about. You might guess she was referring to her heavenly father. But here's how she said it. She said, I've got a heavenly father, and I've got a homely father. <laughs> so as Danielle's homely father, it's certainly a delight to be here. Uh, as your pastor mentioned, National Center for Life and Liberty, and you go, whoa, long name, just remember NCLL. And uh, how many followed, follow college sports, NCAA? Uh, we just got through March Madness, so NCLL, Life and Liberty. And my world falls into kind of three categories. I litigate cases. Uh, we try cases all over the country. Uh, we stand for churches like yours. And by the way, uh, how many believe in your church and believe we ought to keep it free in this country? Absolutely. And, and we defend families like yours, whether it's a life issue, a liberty issue, maybe training your children. Uh, I was the attorney for Terry Schiavo's parents, and so we were involved in that type of litigation, standing for life in our country. And then we also take cases in the public interest. A lot of times that's representing government. Um, for example, we were before the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals, and you'll find this kind of interesting. Uh, the question of the case, is the name Jesus still constitutional? Uh, how many believe Jesus ought to be constitutional in America? And, and by the way, it is fascinating. Uh, why do they complain about Jesus? And they say you shouldn't even be able to mention that name in a, a government prayer or a, a military setting or public school. Here's why they're upset with Jesus. Jesus said there's only one way to heaven. And by the way, how many agree with Jesus on that? And whether you're watching online or here, if you don't agree with that, my friend, uh, lovingly and respectfully, we would say that you're lost, and we would want to encourage you uh, to come to know Christ. But just the mere mention of his name creates an offense in our culture. So we get to defend churches like this, families like yours, as well as the name of Jesus in courtrooms across America. Uh, as your pastor mentioned, we work in Washington, D.C. Uh, how many figured out Washington is a mess right now? Uh, how many think anybody can run for president in today's culture? I mean, we might as well throw your pastor in. I mean, get him a red hat, he'll be ready to go. I mean, everybody else is running. Uh, but the, the reality is, you say, is it as bad as it looks? Let me tell you, it's worse when you get there. Uh, the gridlock, the acrimony, and what we try to do is be your voice. We try to remind them uh, that, number one, people with real jobs sent them there. And by the way, how many believe some of them need to go home and get real jobs for a while? And remember... Uh, what it is to, um, you know, actually work for a living. Uh, but then we also try to remind them that it was designed to be a limited government. And somebody says, you know, all three branches, what's going on? Well, you know, all three are out of control. I mean, the, the presidency is operating outside of where it should. There was a limit on that executive authority. Um, the Congress is being a little derelict. How many figured out our budget's kind of out of control? 
And, and, uh, and by the way, just a little food for thought, uh, the government that now controls your health care also pays your Social Security. And how many believe there's a conflict in that, potentially, as they decide how much care you should receive and how long you should live? And so uh, we have a government that's not handling its finances well. And then the Supreme Court um, was supposed to be the least powerful branch. Uh, how many believe they have been grossly overpowered? Uh, to influence our society. Uh, before he passed away, you know Justice Scalia, uh, we're right now with an eight-member court uh, because of the death of his, um, that Supreme Court justice, but Justice Scalia said, why should five out of nine lawyers make these important decisions for society in reference to the same-sex marriage case? And by the way, how many believe that is a little crazy, uh, that we are giving them that much authority? Now, I do mention, just so you guys understand, one of the most important things about a president is they appoint Supreme Court justices, and they are there for a long time. Whenever I'm before the Supreme Court, I always feel like it's nursing home ministry. Uh, you bring out the walkers, the wheelchairs, the life's a chore, prop them up, get them up. No, but uh, they are appointed for life. Uh, they have tremendous legacy. Uh, people are very upset, or some are upset, with the, the ruling last summer on marriage, certainly the state of Ohio. Uh, being forced to change standards because of the ruling of the Supreme Court. And uh, don't forget that ruling was written by a Ronald Reagan appointee. Uh, even long after President Reagan has uh, left this world and certainly been out of office for many years, the legacy of those decisions continues for a long time. And so we are involved in Washington being your voice. And then we try to be a voice in the culture. Uh, we do that through media, television, radio. I'll be on uh, W. Uh, um, CRF in the morning and uh, do different outlets and reach. We have a seminar here tomorrow. Where we'll be training church leaders. Uh, by the way, the estate planning, if you've got a minute, 1230 or 5 o'clock, uh, we will gladly uh, give you, it'll be about 30 minutes fast. We'll move right along, take questions. Um, if you want to sign up for appointments, I know they're taking some out in the hallway. Uh, but, you know, the fundamentals of estate planning, it's real simple. Either you decide or the state where you live decides for you. And by the way, how many believe you can do a better job than the state when it comes to your children, your assets, other things? And, and it is a stewardship issue. And so, again, we, we're very low-key, but just want to make sure. I believe if you give good people good information, uh, they can make good decisions. And so uh, we do want to mention two quick things. Um, would love for you to receive our newsletter. Uh, how many here have a phone? Do you have a phone? Dig it out real fast up on the screen. If you text the word liberty, just text the word liberty. Uh, if you can't spell it, you shouldn't vote. But anyway, the word liberty, um, if you would text it to 313131, and then you can let that be, and then you can connect into our website this afternoon and uh, receive our newsletter information, stay connected up with the ministry. We would certainly love to serve you or your family in any way that we can. We're certainly honored to be your church's attorney. And then also out in the hallway, a book I have called Understanding the Constitution. Don't raise your hand. We won't embarrass anybody. Uh, but if I were to ask you how many have read the Constitution, a lot of folks would go, well, you know, I don't know, kind of some old book, maybe lawyers. Hand. But uh, how many believe one of the reasons why we're losing our liberties is we don't know what they are anymore? You say, well, that's a really complicated document. Can I tell you, one of the brilliant components of our founding fathers was the simplicity and the brevity of it. 
Seven articles, 27 amendments. Don't forget the first 10 were the Bill of Rights. And I would encourage you, take a look at this book. It's in the hallway. All the proceeds go to help the NCLL. Um, we asked 15 for the book or book and study guide together for 20. And again, if you can't afford it, I will give it to you. Uh, how many like the words free book? That sounds like a good deal. Uh, but if you can't help us, we'd certainly be grateful, and I will sign them, and they'll be out there in the hallway on the break. But I'd encourage you to take a look at that. You know, there's a wonderful proverb that most of us know. It's Proverbs 22 and verse 6. And it talks about training up the children. And, and most of you, as you raised your hand earlier, you've got kids, and, and, and kids are, are funny little critters because you know, we train and we push and we, we try to give them values and, and different things. And, you know, sometimes we wonder if we're making a difference. Uh, but how many rejoice that that verse promises that when they get old, they won't depart from it if you train them? Even with the, the frustration, if you will, of knowing they're going to forget some things. Uh, let, let's be real honest. How many here have forgotten one thing since high school? May I see your hand, please? How many wish it was but one thing? You know, I mean, most of you are like, I've forgotten a few things since this morning. But uh, the reality is we know, whether it's math facts or, you know, I throw up the uh, scientific table of the elements and I say, label this. Uh, a lot of you would go, boy, David, there was a day I'd have known all that, but I'd struggle with it now. Now, for some of you, that wouldn't be a fair question. Uh, back when you were in school, there were only four elements. You and the earth, wind, fire, your little, little, little caves. But uh, the reality is they've discovered a few more since then. But we, we, we know as we push information and things at children that a lot of times they forget maybe the, the facts or things. But how many rejoice that when you touch their heart with the character and the truth of the Word of God, we have that tremendous promise that they won't depart from it? when they grow older, and, and we know that we're investing in something that is important. You know, we're in a society right now that a lie has permeated the culture, and it's one that you, you kind of see little pieces of it, but, but you may not even be quite aware of what that lie is. The lie that is out in our culture right now as it pertains to children is that we the adults, we the parents, we the pastors, we the teachers, we the responsible ones are not to impose our values or our viewpoints on the next generation. The lie right now is that that generation should decide for themselves. And by the way, how many believe we're watching that play out in society all across our nation? I mean, you see it in the, the schools, the whole gender identity revolution, even things as basic as whether a child is a boy or a girl, but now that's up for grabs. They can literally decide for themselves through federal education policy. Any child in any school in the nation can literally walk in and decide, today I wish to change my gender making it very real. A seventh grade boy says, today I wish to be a girl. He gets a girl's name, girl's shower, girl's sports team, girl's locker room, and that is his decision. By the way, he can flip back the next day. They don't even have to like stay one any given time period because they might be questioning. And by the way, no parental note needed, no pastor input, no clergy involvement. Doesn't need to be under professional counseling or medical care. Why? It's their right 
to decide for themselves. Uh, Teachers are being told, don't say boys sit over here and girls sit over there. Now, why not, you might say? Well, that's putting stress on the children. By the way, these kids are stressed out. They're living off their parents. They're playing cool video games. They're drinking $5 lattes, but it's stressful, okay? I mean, you know, it's a tough world. And, you know, and when you say boys sit over here, girls sit over here, what you're doing is you're imposing your viewpoint of what is a boy or what is a girl. See, what you're supposed to say is if you like blue, sit over here. You like pink, sit over there. You like dogs, sit over here. You like cats, sit over here. You see the difference. It's all about the child's choice. Don't impose any viewpoint, any pressure, any stress. Just let them decide for themselves. And you sit there and say, Mr. Gibbs, well, that's morally bankrupt. You're absolutely correct. But how many believe it's bizarre educational policy as well? Now, I got a little confession. I grew up in a different era. Some of you did too. How many remember... When people, not your parents, could spank you. How many remember those good old days? I I mean, a little flashback moment. Neighbors spanked, right? Schools spanked, churches spanked. Let's be candid. Total strangers would smack you. (laughs) And your mother would go, thank you, he needed that. It was like a child beating frenzy. We just twitched. We never knew where the next smack was coming. And, and, And by the way, if you ever got spanked by mistake... You know, I call that, I didn't do anything wrong, I got hit. You know, did your parents ever apologize? No. They had clever lines back then, like, I'm just getting you for something you got away with before I didn't know about. Like, you know, this beating bank account must remain funded. And by the way, if I ever got spanked by somebody not my parents, I had one prayer in life. You know what that prayer is, for them not to find out. Because I would explain to my mother, how my civil rights had been violated, and she'd reviolate my rights. It never worked for me, ever. But we're in a society right now where what our Supreme Court used to refer to as the fundamental right of parents to direct and control the upbringing of children. Everything's now at play, and these values, these viewpoints, children are being told it's your right to decide all of these issues without the input of the responsible adults or those that are overseeing your care. The book of Acts, chapter 4, if you want to turn there, you're welcome to. The early church had kind of an incredible prayer. And this morning, I'd like to share this prayer with you as we think about our society, as we think about our families, as we think about our culture, the next generation. But as you are turning to Acts chapter 4, and in a moment I'll read the prayer, but before I do, I'd like to just set a stage for you so you understand what is occurring as these Christians pray the prayer. Now, you know, I don't know about you, we'll we'll use old terminology. How many remember the old flannel graph? How many remember flannel graph? A little, somebody like, what's that? The young people. But, you know, it was always cleaned up and sterilized, kind of handsome looking characters that didn't move. And And I think sometimes the early church, we just think, oh, well, they were really great super Christians that never had any problems, and look at all the cool things they did. But I think we forget the reality, the nightmare they were enduring to get the message of the gospel out. The early church, number one, was economically in a lot of trouble. You say, how so? 
Well, most of them, when they named the name of Christ, were cut off from their families. That wasn't just a social or a personal hurt. That was an economic disaster. They worked for their families, so they were instantaneously unemployed. All their investments, so we'll call it their stocks, their buildup, their investment in life, was tied up in the family business. So they just lost everything they owned. Plus, all their future, whether it was medical care or retirement, we'll call it their Social Security, it was all tied up in the family. So when they named the name of Christ, they were almost instantaneously impoverished. Add to that, the um, other people in town discriminated against them. They wouldn't do business with them. You walk into a store and they say, please leave. We don't want your money. We don't want your credit card. Just leave. That's what these Christians face. That's why in the scripture, you'll see some verses that refer to them pooling or combining all things common. I don't believe that was advocating socialism as much as it was survival. They'd literally say, here's what I have. Here's what you have. Let's combine it and try to create our own little sub-economy. I say this respectfully. There were no prosperity preachers in the early church for the simple reason there was no prosperity. It was very economically difficult. But then number two, their government turned on them. They were deemed traitors, dissidents. They were hauled before courts and said, deny Jesus and pledge your loyalty to me as your ruling authority. And these Christians would try to be clever. Uh, They would say things like, oh, magistrate, I, I pledge you my fidelity, my faithfulness as a loyal subject, but I cannot deny my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And with words like that, guilty, and they were sent to jail. Tough jails. Uh, Our jails are indoors, air-conditioned, and we have health care and food. Uh, Their jails, outdoors, most of them, caves, rocks. So ladies, not to make you scared, but bugs, critters, very little sanitation, very little showering or cleanliness. I mean, you're kind of banned to the outdoors to just live like animals. And then most of them had no food service. So the reality is it was a family responsibility to bring you food. We see the double problem. The family had been cut off, so these Christians are now sent to jails literally to die within a matter of weeks from dehydration, starvation, and neglect. Economically, they're struggling. The government turns on them. Then number three, society as a whole hated them. Uh, You see that in the big public martyrdoms. Again, a word we don't use much today But what was a martyrdom? Public murder for entertainment value. And who was hated so much? I mean, you say, we see weird stuff on reality TV. Uh, How many figured out this was reality? These Christians were brought in and deranged animals were there to kill them. But there were two sad parts to this. The massacre on the floor, one part people would pay to see. The other part, they wanted to watch the reaction of the family members. So the women were on one side, the men on the other, and children would be released out one at a time. And part of the sickness was to see if you could even guess which mother or which father was watching their child be destroyed at that moment. And then the women would be released and the men would be forced to watch. The Christians would try to stoically discipline themselves not to yell, not to scream out, because that would cause the crowd to jeer and to mock God and So they would sit stoically while their families were killed before their eyes helplessly. And then the men were killed in an order. They'd start with the new believers, work their way up. And the grand finale of this sick event was the pastor, the evangelist, the man of God they deemed responsible for bringing Jesus to their territory. And they wanted him to die after having watched all of his family 
and his converts be put to death barbarically before his eyes. As we sit here this morning, how many rejoice that we still have a lot of freedom in America? And we can look around the world and places like where ISIS and others roam, and, and there's Christians where their lives are in jeopardy, but uh, how many rejoice we still have some security and some safety in our culture and, and some freedom and some prosperity? The Lord's been good to the United States of America. But when you look at what the early church was facing when they prayed this prayer, it sets a little context for you. Look at Acts chapter 4 and draw your eyes, if you would, down to verse 29. The verse that's on the screen for you as well, it says, Now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all, and notice that last word, boldness. Say that word out loud with me, boldness. Say it one more time, boldness. The early church in the midst of all that incredible persecution. Interestingly, they didn't pray for the persecution to go away. They didn't pray for the persecution not to hurt. They accepted the sovereignty of God for what he would allow into their lives. And by the way, how many believe nothing comes into your life God doesn't know first? And, and by the way, God isn't going to be surprised by what the Supreme Court does or doesn't do. How many believe he's God? And they accepted that there's threats, and they accepted the persecutions and the difficulties, but what they prayed for was what they could control. They said, Lord, would you give us this boldness? Could I challenge you this morning with a couple of thoughts? Number one, how many believe we need bold churches in the United States of America? Now, I want to give you some good news, and you've heard great music. You've got great pastors, teaching team, Brother Chad and others. How many rejoice that you are in a bold church for Jesus Christ? You're in a church that stands for the whole counsel of the Word of God, doesn't compromise on the truth. And, and by the way, could I challenge you, how many believe we all need to be excited about this church? You say, but, well, I like my church, I'm here, and, and that's wonderful, but could I just challenge you, the world out there will never get more excited about this church than you are. And I always tell folks, take an excitement inventory. Human beings, when they're excited, do three things. Number one, they talk about what they're excited about. Number two, they spend time on what they're excited about. Number three, they spend money on what they're excited about. That's human excitement 101. A fella takes up hunting. Will he talk about it? Absolutely. He will lie. He will exaggerate, but he will talk. I mean, he will talk about how he got the animal. He'll fail to tell you he hit it with the truck, but he got it, okay? Okay, a time. He can't get to Sunday school or to church, but he can be in some stand at 3 in the morning on a cold day, okay? Because he's excited. And then money. I mean, I need this $1,500 rifle to go shoot $4 birds. It just makes sense, okay? Anything wrong with that? No, it's just exciting. It's just something that he's excited about. Lord wired us that way. And by the way, how many are excited that the Lord does give us things we can be enthused and happy and thrilled about? But can I challenge you, would you get excited about your church this week? Talk about it. Let others know. Let your family know. Be where this is exciting to you. And you're here, and I commend you for being here. But older or younger, how many believe we all play a huge role with our presence? And then money, let me just put out on this thought. Um, God's been too good to all of us. Uh, my daughter, Danielle, when she was little, she'd come to me and say, Daddy, I, I want to get you a present. And I'd say, oh, Danielle, that's wonderful. And she'd say, 
can I have some money? <laughs> and then that's how it works. The, the parents or the adults give money to the kids. And you know what? That little critter, I'd give her some money, and she would only spend a portion of that on my gift, okay? There were things she needed, gums, earrings, whatever little girls need at that point. And, and, and I love those gifts, and you did too. But how many believe God's been too good to all of us? And we can give back just a little bit, but we need to be excited about this church and help it stay bold and strong for Jesus. But then number two, how many believe we need more bold families in America? And you say, well, I mean, you know, Mr. Gibbs, how do I do that? Well, can I give you a couple of thoughts? How many believe it does rest on the parents? And, and if you say, well, the parents aren't doing their job, well, how many believe grandparents and others can step in if you have influence? I mean, but the adults have to step in, and, and it does require that you actually, like, talk to your children. Now, can, can we stop here for a moment? How many believe this can be a scary moment? Okay, and, and sometimes what we want to do is we want to read a script, and we kind of want to preach at the kids, and how many believe they can tune you out? like Charlie Brown's teacher. And, and, and if, if all you're going to do is yell at them or read scripts to them or preach at them, how many believe they will zone out and miss anything? Can, can I give you a couple thoughts? How many believe we need to like ask questions and listen to their answers? You say, well, what if they ask a question I don't know the answer to? Well, how many believe it's good for you to be vulnerable enough to your own kids to say, well, I don't know, let me check on that? I mean, my son, he, he tries to make it where he can ask the bizarre question. You know, Dad? Yes, son? Does God love the devil? I'm like, what do you think? I just want to see if I can stump you. You know, I mean, it, it, I don't know if he's really wondering, but he's, you know, um, my daughter. Dad? How do Jewish people get saved? And, and you sit there and say, well, they get saved the same way everybody else gets saved. But how many understand, as kids have those thoughts, you've got to be willing to let them ask the questions. And if, and if you say, man, they asked me something, I don't have a clue. I mean, you know, they asked me in the Bible, where is homosexuality a sin? I don't know where it is. Well, how many believe we can research the answer? And, and by the way, uh, how many believe Google can be used for good and bad things? Okay, don't believe everything on the internet, but you can get answers and information, but you've got to have that conversation. But then remember what Jesus did with his disciples also. What did he do? He taught them to what? Pray. When was the last time? Don't raise your hand. We're not embarrassing it, but when was the last time you prayed with your family? You say, well, Mr. Gibbs, that'd be awkward. It'd kind of feel weird. We just don't do that. Well, can I give you some thought if you're in leadership, mom, dad? How many believe it's time to start? You say, well, how would I like, actually do that? All right, give you a little thought. Uh, the word cap, confession, adoration, praise. Take those three things. Keep the prayers short. If, if you start praying for 10 minutes, your kids will zone out. Nobody will pay attention. To it. Keep them short, 10, 20 seconds, and do it in a circle. And say, okay, we're going to start with confession. Dad's going first. Okay? <laughs> Dear Lord. I'm here with my family, and I want to confess I have not led them in prayer before, and I should have done this more often. Would you please forgive me for not praying more, Lord, with my family? End of prayer. Okay, now mom confesses something. 
Dear Lord, forgive me for not taking more effort to make this a prayer. Now kids, how many believe it might be interesting what they'll confess? You will learn things, okay, but keep it short, circle around three, four, five times, set an example. How many believe it's important for your kids to see you humble yourself before the Lord? Adoration. We have a generation that is not thankful. How many believe we need to teach them to appreciate all the good things God has done? One quick rule. Don't make it everybody just prays down the line. You know, one kid's thankful for Jesus, all the kids are thankful for Jesus. Tell them they got to come up with something new, okay? And then petition. Focus their prayers. Help them think about what they could be doing. And, and so let's say tonight we're going to pray for our church. Then we're going to pray for our family, maybe lost loved ones, people we could reach. Uh, maybe we're going to pray for our nation. And you can focus their prayers. And you go around in a circle with your family four, five, six times, all of a sudden 10, 15, 20 minutes. And how many believe you can teach them to be bold for Jesus Christ? We need bold churches. We need bold families. We're almost done. Number three, how many believe we need some bold individuals? These are folks that decide that they're coming out of the closet. How many believe lots of Christians have climbed in the closet? And, and we're living our lives day after day, and we're not sharing our faith. I give you a plan very quickly that would reach the whole world for Jesus. Listen to this quickly. Reach a soul for Christ this year. Disciple that person well enough that they'll go reach a soul for Christ a year and go do it again. They say, no, wait a minute, David, let me get this plan straight. Reach a soul for Christ a year, yep. Disciple them well enough to reach a soul for Christ a year, yep. And then go do it again. Yep, that's my plan. Now you say, well, wait, that, that would grow. And for our math people in the room, you'd use a big word here. You'd say exponentially it would begin to expand Get ready for this, not the U.S., not the state of Ohio, but the whole world in a little over 35 years. If you'd reach a soul for Christ a year and disciple them well enough to go reach a soul for Christ a year. You say, wow, that's kind of neat. That sort of work, but got a problem, David. A lot of good people in this church. We're in a big church, but there's some folks here. They're not going to do it. They're not wired that way. It's not their thing. And so your plan won't work. Can I give you some good news? We don't need them. We just need you. And you're like, oh, man. <laughs> just came to church, and now i got to save the whole world. That's a lot of work. <laughs> I feel like the weight of the world just fell on me. I'm not here to dump the weight of the world on you. I am here to spark a little thought, a little vision, maybe a teenager here. And by the way, how many believe a teenager has 35 years left? You could reach the world for Jesus. Maybe you're a young adult, young grandparent. You could do it. Maybe you say, Mr. Gibbs, I don't know if I've got 35 years left, but with every year I do have left, I could reach somebody for Christ. But you sit here today and you say, well, David, you know, I don't know. It just seems like it's so hard in our society. Our culture's going dark. All these new rights that are based on sexual activity and identity and gender and and nobody wants to hear about Christ, behold the threatenings. How many believe the early church could have talked themselves out of it? But would you give us, Lord, would you give us that boldness? Say that word with me, boldness. Let's keep this church bold. 
Let's invest in talking and praying. And how many believe we need to have bold families for Jesus Christ? And be willing to be scared with the conversations and let them ask and and dialogue and research. Wrestle together. Make it a grand journey of faith with your family. But then also model it where you're out reaching somebody this year. If I were to say how many of you are trying to reach somebody for Christ right now, a lot of folks aren't even thinking or praying about it. We just get busy in the day-to-day. But boy, if we could reach a soul for Christ and then disciple them, how many believe we could reach our whole world? for Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment? I'm going to ask you just to make a decision right now, and the decision's real simple. Would you take Acts 4.29 and make that your own? Would you say, Lord, I see what's going on in my country. I see what's going on in my life. I see what's happening all around me. Would you give me, would you give my family, would you give this church a heaven-sent boldness. If you take that prayer and make it your own this week, could I encourage you to slip a hand up and back down all over the building, just up and back down. You don't have to keep them up. We're not counting them. We're not taking names. It's just a little physical. It's a little reach up. It's a little, Lord, you're talking to me. It's a little, Lord, I want to leave this service different than I come. Lord, please change me. Give me heaven-sent boldness. Give me the courage to be bold to my own family. Give me the joy to be excited about this great church. Lord, give me the heart to care about others where I'd reach them for you. Let me be bold. Father, you've seen our hands. More importantly, you've seen our hearts. And Lord, all across this room are men and women who love you and are part of this church. And Lord, we see the threatenings in our country. We see the attacks. We see the culture shifting away from your values and your truth. But Lord, our prayer is that we would be bold for you. Lord, Pastor Chad and the team here, would you anoint them with heaven-sent boldness? Lord, the families, the children, the grandchildren that are represented in this building, would you give us the opportunity to make them bold? Lord, would we model your boldness. We thank you for the early church. Lord, our prayer now is that we would be bold like they were for your name, for your message, for your gospel, and for your glory. Father, we know the hope is not in our courthouses or in our state houses or even in our White House. But Lord, the hope for our nation sits right here in the church house. Please, Let us turn our world upside down for Jesus like the early church because you will hear our prayers for boldness, we pray. In the great and matchless name of Jesus, I ask, and together we quietly said, amen.